Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you, thanks to everybody who's in the room on Father's Day, everybody who's joining us online. Thanks for being a part of this. Hey, in just a second, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we do that, I just want to give you a little bit of an update. Uh, I want to thank everybody who was involved in this and then just inform everybody else. So a couple of weeks ago, we were able to host a conference here and you would have loved it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there were 1,100 people who lead churches in different parts of the world here for a conference that we got to host, and it was so much fun. We had like leaders from East Africa who oversee entire movements, the Middle East, South America. And then later that week on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, my wife and I were able to attend up at Camp on the Boulder, our camp, uh, hang out with 120 missionaries and their families. And it was just a phenomenal time. And guess what? Everybody wanted to move to Montana. And I told them, no, 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 if you do, you have to move to Bozeman. But I said, thanks for coming. Come back and visit anytime. So thanks for being a community that just like, I think everybody left just like, wow, you know, thanks God for, for restoring my soul. So especially if you're, um, we call it being spiritually unresolved, you're not sure what you believe. We're going to read some things that um, for some of us, you're going to have to like, I'm just going to ask you this, just like have your mind be open, right? You probably have seen some things that made you question some of what we're going to look at, but just know that there's a purpose here and that Paul, as he's writing to his friends in Corinth, is passionate about a partnership, okay? A partnership between humanity and the divine, okay? And he's going to explore that a little bit. He's going to talk about the things of the spirit. Now, I will let you know as we read this, it can be controversial even in different churches that would all follow Jesus that have really different understandings of this. I'll give you an example. When I was applying to go to graduate schools, this is 20 some years ago, um, the graduate school I ended up going to had a completely different perspective on what we're going to read. They're good people, they love the Lord. They were what's called cessationists, okay? which means they believe like all these things of the spirit that we read about um, ended when the Bible came together in its fullness. So like gifts of the spirit, miraculous things, they do not operate any longer. So there's a huge amount of churches that believe that. And in my interview in front of these professors, I was already pretty intimidated and they're brilliant. And I'm trying to get into their school. They said, we will let you come, but you're going to have to sign this document. And they were familiar with the type of church that I've been working at, my background. And I said, well, what does the document say? And they slid it across the table and it said this. It said that I had to promise that I would not speak in tongues during any classes. And I said, wasn't planning to. I can completely sign this. And I gave it back to them. So they're, they're good people who read the same Bible, but they come to a very different conclusion. So you want to know that, Right. Here's what we're going to do. Before we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to do a little bit of like context regarding the Holy Spirit. 
And if you're a veteran of following Jesus, this is going to be helpful to you because Paul is setting something up that's very vital to today's world, in my opinion. And if you are not quite sure, you're not familiar with the Bible, hopefully this will set the context so that we can place the scripture we're going to read in the right theological arena. Okay, Holy Spirit, even when I say that, you're like, uh, are we going to get weird today? Because most of us would say, I've got a bit of a grasp on this idea that God is the father and that Jesus is his son. Those are the ones we typically feel most comfortable with. Um, But then this whole idea of the spirit of God is just a little bit more vague and sometimes it gets a little bit abused and misunderstood. So just stay calm. We're gonna try to look at the spirit of God revealed. We're gonna cover multiple thousands of years of human history. Are you ready? Where are we first introduced to the spirit of God? often called the Holy Spirit. It's in the creation story, Genesis chapter one. So God is getting ready. It says the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. So there's this chaotic preexistent earth, whatever it is. And it says this, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. What does that mean? I don't know, I'm moving my arms hovering. It means that God's spirit is there active in the whole creation process. He's been along. And then you could read through the Old Testament and here's the pattern you'd find. That on occasion and temporarily, those are two important things, on occasion and temporarily, the spirit of God would visit a human being for a specific task or for a challenge and something beyond the natural would happen, okay? And this happens to kings, this happens to military leaders, this happens to prophets, that they're just ordinary people, but for a moment in time, the spirit of God partners with this individual and they, if they're a prophet, they speak the truth of what God would wanna tell a group of people or they, Uh, give them courage to work their way through a really challenging situation. So I just want to give you one example, and you find this all throughout the Old Testament. This is from the account of Samson, right? This is a Father's Day illustration. Remember, he's the guy with the long hair, Nazarite vow. He's a deliverer. He's a judge is what he's formally called. And this is what we read in Judges chapter 15. This is Samson. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. This is the phrase. Okay, before Jesus comes around, this is what happens. The spirit of God temporarily comes upon someone. The ropes of his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Next slide, please. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. (laughs) What in the world? So here's Samson. He's a normal human being. But the spirit of God comes powerfully upon him. He's being attacked by a whole bunch of Philistines who are like the bad guys. And he looks around. Now he finds the jawbone of a donkey. And he's like, come on, boys. Right? It's this extraordinary experience that he has when the spirit of God comes upon him. This happens over and over through the Old Testament. But it never stays. It's just for an assignment. Now, a hope began to emerge in the Jewish people. So if you were Jewish, you prayed multiple times a day for what they called Messiah, Messiah. Messiah is, we translate it the anointed or the promised one. This hope began to emerge that one day 
Someone would be sent from God who would be the promised one and he would make everything that's wrong in the world right. And this would be really unique. The spirit of God would come upon him and rest on him. So now this partnership between humanity and the divine would come together, not for a temporary period of time, but permanently. Here's uh, written about 780 years before Jesus comes to earth. Here's this hope emerging, Isaiah chapter 42. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. Almost 800 years before Jesus comes around, this is what God says, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So this Jesus, when, when the spirit comes on him, justice will happen. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth Justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. So they're saying this, that one day when God sends this promised one, the spirit's gonna come upon this person and justice will happen. What's wrong in the world will begin to be made right. And even the island nations, if you lived in Israel, it's like we've heard rumors that there are people who live on islands. They'll even begin to follow his teachings. So, how does that materialize? Well, in Luke, Jesus has just started. He's 30 years old. He's just kind of lived a very quiet life. He's just been baptized and had the spirit given to him. We'll look at that in a moment. And he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, right? It's a small town. People are overly familiar with him. And he's asked, because he's a young rabbi, to read scripture that day. They would have been in a synagogue on a Saturday. And this is what Jesus reads, okay? He's, he's, gonna, he's gonna, this is a huge statement because he's saying that he's Messiah. This is from Luke chapter four. He opens the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Here's what Jesus is saying. What the world has been waiting for, a partnership between human beings and the divine is coming together because, this is why the Spirit's important, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Remember, Isaiah said that when the Spirit comes upon somebody, they're gonna bring about justice. And Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. Okay, one other point, John chapter one. Okay, this is, it's really important to understand what, ha what is happening. John chapter one, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, is being interviewed and he's being asked, like, tell us what you think about Jesus. This is what he says. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove. So whenever the spirit is mentioned, it's like as a, because you're not exactly sure. It's like, I don't know, as a dove and Ooh, this is big because this has never happened in the history of the Bible. The Spirit has come for a period of time, temporarily upon somebody. And what does the Spirit of God do upon Jesus? Remains. It remained on him. And we can read that and we're like, interesting. But John says, this is how I knew. I literally watched God send his divine spirit. And it came upon Jesus and stayed there. 
It wasn't just a temporary little moment in time. So then the question is this. Was Jesus able to be the great emancipator, the great healer, the great deliverer, the great teacher because he was God? Or was it because the Spirit remained upon him? Which is it? Well, he's the God-man. We, we, we won't get into that. It's a fascinating idea. But it seems to be that the thing that allowed Jesus to be the one who healed broken hearts and opened eyes both physically and spiritually is this, is that the Spirit of God was upon him and remained on him. And now there's this incredible partnership between the Spirit of God and a human being, which leads to extraordinary things happening in people's lives, which leads to this justice that had been promised for so long. So my question would be this then. Good for Jesus. What about us? Does that have any impact on us whatsoever? Let's read Acts. <clears throat> this is Jesus' final words to his disciples. He's already been resurrected. He's appeared to them intermittently for a 50-day period. He says to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. It's not earned. It's not achieved. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this word baptized, in Greek it's baptizo, baptizo. And here's where it's used. Some of you have heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating. It's used in two ways in ancient Greek. In a pickle recipe and in dyeing garments, okay? So what would you do with a, okay, you take a cucumber, cut it up, and you baptize it literally is what the recipe says. You baptize it in the vinegars and the spices. And what happens when you pull that cucumber out? Does it taste like a cucumber anymore? No, no, because it's been infiltrated. It's been altered and changed by your vinegar and your spices. With a garment, you took a garment, it's white, it's wool. You have a tub that's filled with some colored dye. You baptize it in, you mix it around, you let it soak. And when it comes out, what comes out with it? The dye. It has been altered. It's been permeated. And this is exactly what Jesus says. You will be baptized. You will be infused with. It wasn't just for Jesus. He says, this is for you. You will be baptized in the spirit. Then let's move forward. Just one chapter. They're waiting in Jerusalem. Jesus, just as Jesus said, when the day of Pentecost means, Penta 5, it's 50 days after the Passover when Jesus died. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Wind in Greek is pneuma. Pneuma, remember that because we're going to talk about this, okay? It's spirit, same word used for spirit and wind. A violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw, remember what seemed to be, like we don't know how to describe this, what seemed to be tongues of fire. So fire is a way that God has represented himself throughout Hebrew history. Uh, when the people are wandering in the desert for 40 years, what appears every night? A pillar of fire. Where God's saying, hey, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. Tongues of fire that separated and what in the world does it do? It came to rest on the most pious and devout and worthy of them. No, no, this is a room filled with men and women, people of different ethnicity, people with different histories, with baggage. And the spirit of God came to rest on 
each of them. So here's what God really would want us to know, I think, about the Spirit. Is that Jesus was the first human being who had a partnership with the Spirit, which led to his incredible ministry of restoration of broken people. And we could say, well, that's, that's fantastic, right, for Jesus. We like to read about it and celebrate it. But the Bible is clearly telling us that Jesus was the example. He was the forerunner for us. And that this is now available to all of us. That this partnership between the divine and human beings can continue. This, this issue of sin that has so polluted and broken us has been dealt with. And now, you know, Jesus says this. He looks at his disciples uh, just a little bit before his death. And he says, I'm going away and it's better if I leave you. And they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, we want you here. He says, no, no, it's better that I leave you because when I leave physically, I'll be able to send my spirit. He goes on to say, greater things than what I've done, you will do. When the partnership of the spirit can finally come upon average everyday human beings, the things that will happen, maybe not quality, but quantity, right? If there were millions of people, thousands of people who now have a partnership between God and the spirit of, and, and humanity, things would change. The world would change, all right? So this word, um, Numa, Numa, uh, before we read this text, because it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to say in the NIV, spiritual gifts, and... It's a really hard word to translate. It's pneumaticos, pneumaticos. So the word, the two words spiritual gifts actually don't, you won't find that in the New Testament. It's our best way of translating. Pneumaticos, remember pneuma is spirit and wind. So the pneumaticos, these gifts of the spirit would be the things that the spirit animates. The things that the spirit brings life to. So let's try to understand this idea of pneumaticos. So does anybody know what this is called? It's not hooked up. I can't shoot you. What is it called? A super max a okay, yes, a super max framer. Good eyesight. <laughs> An air gun. Okay, what's another name for air? It's a pneumatic. Boom, bingo, front row. A pneumatic nailer. This is the same word, pneumaticos, spirit. It's wind. It's a wind nailer, right? We still use this term. Now, here's the funny thing about a pneumatic nailer. I can pull the trigger down and it's beautiful. It's well-engineered. It's a Mac super framer. I mean, but by itself, it is incapable. What does this require? The pneuma, right? The air, the air. So now duck, this is where it gets dangerous. Oh, fail. Okay, there we go. Now it's connected to the air, right? It's compressed air. And back in the nether regions of the stage is a compressor that has like pushed together air. 
pushed together so tightly that now it's going to change the very nature of this nailer and it's going to enhance it and give it capacity. So now I take the exact same nailer. I'm supposed to wear safety glasses. It didn't poke through, good. And it brings what? A new, a new power to this entire thing. Like it's, it's revolutionary, right? By itself, it literally has no power. And this pneumaticos, I don't know if there's a better illustration to understanding it. It's this, I, I could just be a tool, right? I could just like have a design. But if there's nothing supernatural, if this wind of the spirit isn't flowing through me, I can only do like up to my capacity. Okay, here's my capacity. I can't go beyond that. So this is what Paul's talking about. Okay, with this in mind, let's read our text for today. All that. We haven't even read the text. Here we go. First Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the spirit. This is literally the pneumaticos. Okay, the things that are animated by the spirit. Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans... Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols compared to God who actually speaks to people. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. Like, what is that? This is a, this is a phrase the Jewish people who rejected Jesus used. So they thought there's no way he could be the Messiah. And so they would say, Jesus be cursed. These kids, anybody who says that, they're not in touch with the spirit. And, and, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, which seems like a simple phrase, but developing in the Roman Empire in 55 AD is the cult of the emperor, where in about 40 years from now, you have to say that, who's Lord? Caesar. And to say Jesus is Lord is a criminal offense. So nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He produces something in you. He's like, there's life, right? There are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one of the, each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit, a message of wisdom. Now, we're not going to go through all these gifts. We'll do that in a couple of weeks, okay? So a message of wisdom to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. And to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he, meaning the spirit, distributes them to who? How many people? Each one. Each one. Like, point your fingers to yourself. Right? To each one, just as he determines. Just as he determines. Let me just say a few things about these gifts. We'll come back and look at this a little bit more. First thing is this, there's great potential for ignorance and confusion when it comes to the things of the spirit, the pneumaticos. There are, fortunately, there are churches that fight over this. There are churches that say, 
hey, all this, we don't need any of this any longer. Um, and for us, I, I think it's ignorance. In our society, Western, educated, here's what happens so often for us, is you come to an experience where you say, yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus. Like I need a savior. And then it becomes a completely cerebral worldview, perspective, philosophy. And we think, like, I just want to read the Bible. I want to understand. I want to be a good student. And we get a little uncomfortable with some of the things that we just read about, right? I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, I don't know, a while back, I had a call from a family in the church. And this, this doesn't happen a lot, maybe once or twice a year. And they said, hey, this is what they told me on the phone. They said, hey, our son is demon-possessed. We need you to get over here right away. All right, all right. It's like never my favorite thing, you know? So I, okay. But I've been involved in this stuff before. I walk into the room. Man, I can hear noise as I'm coming to the front door, like growling and flopping around. And I walk in, and like, there's this teenage boy, and he's like cursing at his parents and foaming at the mouth. I walk in the door, and... Clear as a bell. This is what the Lord told me. Is it, remember distinguishing between spirits? Spirit God just said, he's faking it. This is not real. I'm like, man, it sure looks real. Right? right? I'm like, it looks real. It's a pneumaticos, right? I don't know. Everything told me it looks real, but God told me it's fake. So I went in and he's flopping around and cussing. And I stood over the top of him like this. And I said, stop it. You're faking it, trying to scare your parents. Stand up and be a man. And he stands up and he goes, I'm so sorry. And he starts crying. He wasn't, like it wasn't a demon. It was an ornery teenage boy trying to manipulate his parents. So we kind of look at that. We're like, do I really want to get involved in that? Here's the problem. Just to be somebody whose your mind is engaged in who Jesus is, it's possible to be ignorant of everything that's involved beyond that. Listen, being a follower of Jesus is not simply an academic or cerebral pursuit. There is more to it. And that's what Paul wants them to know. I don't want you to be ignorant and I don't want you to be confused about this. Secondly, um, this won't be exhaustive, but there's so many ways that people list these gifts and there's other lists. Paul seems to list these in three different groupings, okay? And I know there's like spiritual gift tests out there. I'm actually not a huge fan of those because I think it might be a misunderstanding of what the gifts are for. But Paul says, here's our three gifts. Number one, he says, there's just different kinds of gifts, okay? This is kind of what God made you, right? So if you are, you have a gift of leadership, you can use that gift of leadership to manipulate people and become a military dictator, right? Or you could say, you know what? There's this gift that God's given me. And if I would allow that gift to be animated by the spirit, the, this, the pneuma, what if I could change the world in a positive way? What if I could bring about the justice that Jesus says is so important for our world? So there are these gifts. And some of us feel more gifted and more talented. And there's certain gifts that our society celebrates, right? You get a pay raise if you have certain gifts. 
But everybody has gifts. They're just these capacities that God has put in you. Then he says, not only are there just gifts, but he also calls them, there's different types of services, services. So uh, this is the same word that we use for a deacon. You ever heard of that? Deacons in the church. You know what deacons do? They do all the service stuff. Comes from the book of Acts. There's a whole bunch of women who are widows and they're impoverished and they're not eating. So they find deacons to serve food, to cook food, to make sure that everybody who's hungry is being fed. This is for like your work within God's church. Like the worst thing that can happen, and it's so easy to happen at a big church. The worst thing that can happen is that following Jesus is a spectator sport for you. Like, like if you're online, it's just so easy to like, I click, I consume. If you're in the room, I come in, I consume, I leave. Paul says, no, everybody, everybody has a gift. It's something that the church needs. You, okay, you have something in you that somebody else in this room just desperately needs. You have a, a love for kids. You have experience and wisdom. It's different kinds of service. And then finally, Paul says, there are different kinds of working. This has to do with accomplishments. Like God gives people different things so that things are done. The world's changed. So positive things happen. Now, point number two, or excuse me, number three, um, Paul is going to give us just a little clarity on these gifts. So understanding gifts, understanding gifts. First of all, please know this. Gifts do not belong to me. Okay. Whose gifts are they? They're the gifts of God that he works through us. So if I think that this gift belongs to me, then I own it. I have a friend, I, I've talked to her a number of times and she'd say, hey, I took a, like a gift assessment thing. I paid $19.99 for it online and it told me that I have the gift of prophecy. Now she's not trying to tell people their future, but prophecy typically means in, in, in the Bible, it means that you're speaking truth on behalf of God. And so she says, this is my gift. And she really relishes that. And I appreciate that. But oftentimes she's really hard on people. <laughs> like, just, this is what God says. You are terrible. You know, like, and it like wounds them. And I look at her, I go, no, 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 no. That's not your gift operating. That's you being mean. Okay. It's God's gift. And so you don't own this and the gift doesn't own you. It's something God wants to do through you. You cannot produce the gifts in your life, right? So you can't go like, right now I'm taking a test and I need wisdom. Get to me, come on God, I need to pass. That's not how it operates. Who distributes the gifts? Spirit. And he does it as he sees fit. It's not up to me. It's up to him. And so this is how I think all of this actually operates is you're, you're moving through life, right? And I can either move through life with my best efforts, I'm gonna do the best I can, or I can move through life and I face an obstacle. I face a challenge. I face a neighbor who's facing a crisis. And I can either sit there and just nod my head and be polite, or in the midst of it, I can say, God, is there anything that you would want to communicate to my neighbor. Because I, I, I don't know how to help my neighbor through this marital crisis. But you know, you know exactly what he or she needs. This is when then God says, okay, 
Here's a gift. Here's an insight into their life. Here's a word of affirmation. Here's a challenge that they need so that, so that I'm not operating in and of myself. But there's this pneumaticos. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God was not just for Jesus. The revolutionary, mind-bending part of this is Jesus says, this is now for my followers. That you're not operating through your life, doing the best you can. You're operating in your life open to what supernatural realities God would do through you. And who are the gifts for? For the common good. The common good. A gift is never meant to um, make it possible for me to make my own website, right? A gift is never meant as a commodity for me to manipulate. Here's When spiritual gifts are operating, okay, people are enhanced because of it. Like beautiful things happen because God is supernaturally addressing the challenges and the needs within our lives. It's for the common good. So, I am sometimes asked, why, why is this important, okay? Here's why it's important. This is why it was such a big deal for, for, for Paul. How do I end, anybody, if you've been around for a while, how do I end every service every week? Ooh, I heard it, front row is just on the money today. I say, now go and be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. Why? Because I believe that being a follower of Jesus doesn't just mean that my eternity is secure. It means that I actually join Jesus on this mission of justice, of making what's wrong in the world right, okay? It will never be fully accomplished until he returns. And so when I say go now, be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus, I'm literally picturing, picturing this. I'm picturing that the best part of church does not happen on a Saturday or Sunday. It happens when you're in class. It happens when you're at work and you're engaging people. So as we go, you're gonna face challenges, problems, opportunities, and you can either do the best you can or you can say, wait a minute. The spirit rested on Jesus and Jesus said, and now I've made it possible by dealing with human failing and sin for the spirit of God to rest on my followers. So now as I'm going through life, I can be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. Why? Because the wind of the spirit is blowing into me. The pneumaticos is making me more than just a dumb nailer. I have something that gives life and vitality. I have this opportunity to engage things that are way over my head. And God can say, here's what I want you to say in this situation. Here's a concept that you never could have come up with in your own mind. You can actually be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. So when people ask me, why do you gravitate towards this Pentecostal charismatic? They have all kinds of different things for it. Here's my answer. If I'm supposed to carry on the work of Jesus Christ here on planet earth, I have no idea how to do that without the work of the spirit in my life. I just can't do it. I am not compassionate enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not diligent enough. But if God could take a person like us and have his spirit rest on us, here's what happens. Life isn't about me just trying to figure it out. 
Life is about me facing a challenge and the spirit who's resting on me, giving me whatever is needed for that next thing. And so being a person who's in tune with the pneumaticos is this. Whatever you face, whatever challenge, whatever opportunity, there is this partnership between human beings and the divine that makes life supernatural. I want to end just with these questions. Number one, in what ways might I, and I want you to make this personal, might I be ignorant of the spirituals, the pneumaticos, the gifts? Do I tend towards an intellectual Christianity and think this is kind of messy, like I just want to do another Bible study? Was I raised in a, like a, a, a form of faith where like I never considered this whole idea that God's still doing miracles? Have I been like, like exposed to some things that seem so goofy that I thought, I just want to reject that whole thing. Where might I be ignorant and say, God, would you teach me? Question number two is this, am I living a life animated by the spirit? Right? Are you living a life by yourself or are you saying, God, would your pneuma be flowing through me? Would you take the ordinary and make it extraordinary? Question number three, am I open, receptive, and dependent upon the work of the Spirit? If you can do it all by yourself, I think there's greater things that God has for you. Am I open, receptive, and dependent upon the work of the Spirit? We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.